Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here. And I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask. And that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My guest this morning is Lewis Craig. How are you, Lewis? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Lewis, obviously, you know, similar to myself, you know, you're working in this coach development space, but obviously largely as a coach as well. So maybe just talk to us a little bit about your experiences, your background, and we can kind of spin off from there. Yeah, so like, um, obviously, as a youngster, as a footballer, came through the academy system at Burnley, um, went all the way through to kind of a scholar age, never got a, a professional contract, stayed on as kind of a pre-academy coach. And then whilst at Burnley, kind of did my degree, Worked through the age groups, ended up being full-time, um, working as the foundation phase lead. So I had quite a lot of um, early experience with the younger ages, but I also worked at the under-16 age as well. So I kind of worked across the spectrum at Burnley, which was really good. Um, I had a little stint kind of abroad in Canada, uh, doing a little bit of kind of typical coach, um, coaching camps and that kind of thing over one summer, which again, opened doors and, and connections. <clears throat> and then off the back of that, um was offered a job at Salford City, working as assistant um, head of academy and the under-18s lead coach. So went to that more PDP phase for three years, which I really enjoyed. Left there, went into two roles last year where I was um, at Morecambe in the men's game as a YDP lead, but then also working with Manchester United women in the under-21s set up so again around the PDP phase and then in the last year I've gone full time at Man United just in that role solely um, but yeah on the side like I said the, the coach development stuff it's something I've been toying with for probably three or four years now and it's only probably the last six to eight months where we've kind of let um, we've, we've um, what's the word we've, we've got going with it around the coach help stuff where yes it's a it's a mentoring um, platform in terms of very similar to other, other coach kind of mentorship but we really solely focus on reflection um, probably off the back of I was on the ECAS course four or five years ago and it really got me into kind of the self-development how do I develop myself how do, and my big my big area was like everyone's got like a syllabus or a philosophy it was the implementation of it so how do we day in day out minute by minute of every day really implement something rather than 
it's a document on a piece of paper that, like I said, it passes an audit every two or three years. And again, that links into the, the development stuff where we really go down the, with coach help, down the reflection side of how do we get coaches or heads of coaching reflecting every day rather than every 12 weeks you have a review, you sit and talk about stuff and everything becomes really vague and you kind of forget what's going on in them 12 weeks. You talk about probably week 12 and week 11 rather than one to 12. Um, whereas if we're doing this every day, we can almost build up a bank of reflections for a coach. So when it comes to them review meetings with bosses or what that kind of stuff, then suddenly they've got all this stuff at their, ex- their disposal and they can they can use it and go, do you know what, over the last 12 weeks, I've actually been on this path. Um, and yeah, and that's where we're at with, with at the minute. Um, recently done like a podcast, like I said, I really enjoyed that. But again, that's partly for coach help, but then also partly, like, like you said, a selfish almost CPD where we can just share that with everyone. I think there's some great points there. And I think, you know, it's, it's a really interesting topic because, you know, I think ever since we start our coaching journeys and potentially even before we get into our formal qualifications, you know, people talk to us about reflecting, getting feedback and things like that. But maybe as time goes on and as become a bit more of a seasoned coach, you start to really appreciate and understand just how important that piece is. So, I mean, you're talking about some of your experiences and obviously the great work that you're doing now in terms of supporting coaches in, in, in reflecting. But And you mentioned obviously ECAS there as well. Um Maybe just before we kind of move on, just maybe go into a bit of insight around what ECAS is and, and we can kind of tailor from there. So ECAS was, again, it was kind of really randomly. Um, there was a coach at Burnley supposed to go on the course and then for whatever reason, they decided not to. And last minute, it was like, Lewis, do you want to do this course? And I thought, yeah, I might as well. And as mad as it sounds, off the back of it, I end up getting the job at Salford through meeting someone on the course. And again, you network and then you suddenly get headhunted and you're off into your new role. But, um, the ECAS was like a two-year diploma. Um, again, I think it's kind of evolved even more now in terms of like the degree and the, the stature that it's got. But it was almost every every eight weeks we were at a different residential. So, for instance, we'd go to Shakespeare, we'd go to improvised comedy, we'd go to different sports. I personally went to BBC Radio Manchester because um, I was developing something around communication in my in myself. It was really interesting to see kind of how different parts of different radio shows are presented. So for instance, like the news bulletin is very like structured and it's got to be done in 30 seconds compared to a talk show and how do they make that last for two, three hours. Um, so I spent a couple of days around there, which is really interesting. And then from a personal point of view, I went, I was looking at culture in football clubs and I went into Crew Alexandra because I've had, they've always had like a great culture of developing players. And again, the insights I got from there, rather than like a lot of people on the course were like, I'm going to go to Barcelona, I'm going to go to uh, the Dallas Mavericks, I'm going to go all over the world. I found a real kind of niche in that where it was uh, really built around like my beliefs in terms of technical development as a coach and how it was brought around where there's almost coaches working across two or three age groups, not so much there's a nines coach, there's a tens coach, there's the 11s coach. And you had more of a, like everything was kind of in sync in terms of the philosophy. Um, improvised comedy, again, was a really interesting one around how do you get your inner child back out? So I'd say I'd, I'm probably the worst for this in terms of between the ages of 18 and 24 became very much more conscious around your actions and what you're doing. I think that's just what you do as you grow up. But to actually see grown men and grown women at 40, 50 years old go back to kind of a childlike mentality and be able to 
be really creative. And it got me thinking again, if I was ever to go back towards kind of the foundation phase end, what does what does that look like for me as a coach? I've almost got to change how I am. Um, and yeah, there was loads of different things. And again, there was every assignment and every project around ECAS was based on a problem in your club. So again, it, that was the thing I kind of really bought into because academically I've, I've always been pretty good, I'd say. Um, did like university in the past and stuff, but it was really good to kind of do reading and really research topics around, I was at Salford City at the time or at Burnley at the time, right, there's a thing around player development we're not doing really well. How do I develop an assignment around that and, and kind of link the, link the problems to the course? And then the last part, which again, people might have heard of is they send you to the Brecon Beacons for for two days at the end of the course uh, and basically leave you in, in the mountains of the Brecon Beacons and you've almost got to survive and you can almost see and feel the the little interjections of little bits of parts of the course coming like to the fore when you're on when you're out in, in the mountains in the middle of the night you think this is where I've got to deal with stress this is where I've got to think on my feet this is where I'm, they've actually put me in a situation where over the two years they've got to know me and this is where you really struggle. And I think they did that on purpose with me. Like I know there was an area where I was sat in a room, boiling hot, not really a lot of things to do. And they found kind of found that kind of trigger point where this is where Lewis loses his head a little bit. Uh, and that was really interesting. And at the end of it, you kind of got like a review. Uh, but yeah, um, it really opened my eyes. And again, it, it, the, the big things I learned from it was kind of like always say yes in terms of like opportunities and networking. So, I'm a big believer of um, I took an opportunity on that course where I was asked to present like my life story um, and basically I did it over like an hour and 20 minutes and I did it in a presentation where it was just pictures and I presented quite a lot of real personal stuff and also I was very kind of evident in terms of where I want to go in terms of I want to work at the PDP phase and I want to work there and and I know off the back of it, I got quite a lot of respect from the group. And again, when it came to, there was an opportunity, someone went to Salford and then went, um, Lewis, do you want to come with us? It was kind of a no-brainer. So again, I think I kind of came out of my shell a lot more with that course. No, no, it's really insightful. And I think there's a few key words that really jump out for me as, as you're speaking there. And, you know, there's probably about four or five. And the first one is obviously reflection. Everything that you talk about there is, is about link, linking back into that piece of reflection and what does that what does that look like? Second one is about perception and understanding. You know, really taking on board through those reflections. You know, well, how have I perceived this? You know, how how, how has my behaviour been perceived by others around me? Um, but also that 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 piece around networking and building relationships really is, is massive. And again, that falls back into reflection. And I think you know it's. Just for obviously, you know, I think it was really good that you kind of just broke that down for people, and maybe who aren't too familiar with what ECAS actually is and, and, and the process that that follows. So I guess you know, coming back to the initial to, to the, the comment that you made at the start of the conversation, you said you've been through a range of different environments, um, and obviously, you know, my thoughts are like I said, we're always told about reflection, but maybe aren't truly appreciative of just how important and effective it can be for us. And sometimes it's done as a formality, sometimes it's done as uh, like you said, for auditing purposes or just for the sake of the fact that, you know, yeah, we did do some reflection. Um, but I guess, the, you know, the, the thing, that question always I've always posed to coaches is how intentional and deliberate is your reflection? 
how conscious are you about the type of reflection that you're following through? You know, how many, how many times, and I'm sure you've seen it where at the end of a session, coach says, right, so what did we learn? Is that really reflection? Yeah. What are you gaining from that conversation? I think it's, it's not so much, you know, I saw, I think it was one of your postings, in fact, recently on Twitter, um, where someone said, they, you know, they want to test the understanding of the players. You know, and, I, and my response to that was, well, do, do we really want to test understanding or do we just want to check perceptions? Because yeah. there's a big difference there. Um, and testing understanding is, you know, you asking questions in a way where you're hoping for certain responses. That's also based on recall, but it's also based on how they perceive the question to come across. I think the better way to do it is maybe just have an open canvas, if you like, and a, and a, and a, and a clean slate to, for the players just to express what they've actually found to be maybe important within the session or found as key moments in the session or any interactions you've had with them. So I guess, obviously, you know, you described some of your ECAS experiences there, but what was that reflection process like prior to going on ECAS? You know, where, where, did, where did you maybe start to see some shifts and just how important that piece is and really what's caught your kind of real attention and passion for supporting coaches in, in, in developing this aspect of their work? I think... Um... Again, I was probably a little bit more off the cuff in the past in terms of reflection. So to kind of describe, I went into a role when I was at Burnley where I got given the 16s job at like 23, 24 years old, which 16 is like a big age in terms of um, decisions, scholarships, going, going forward and stuff like that. And I probably, I love the fact that my academy manager basically gave me autonomy and went, just coach. He never stepped on my toes. And I spoke to him a couple of years later and I was like, how? And he goes, do you know what? I just, I just let you get on with the job. I had other things to deal with in the academy and you, you were good at doing what you did. So I just, you, you dealt with the philosophy of the players and you delivered it how he wanted. So we'll just let you fire. And I probably went for a period of like three or four years where I hardly had an assistant as well. So I was turning up and I was just coaching probably four or five times a week, coaching, 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 coaching. And I, I, I realise now the value of it because I think in that period I really developed almost like an intuition as a coach like three players haven't turned up right how do you change a session uh, an extra player's turned up I remember doing my mod two assessment with Martin Diggle and I planned for 11 players and I got given 23 and he was like deal with it and at the time I was like very structured I was like stressing about it, but it's probably one of the best sessions I ever did and I still remember it to this day because you just went with it uh, and it probably wasn't, again, like I said, until ECAS where I went, I remember sitting in one of the lectures and I'm very much a, like an active listener where I can be sat drawing and doodling on a piece of paper, but I'm kind of still taking it in. And people always say to me like, oh, you're like not conscious. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, but then when something hits, I'll start writing notes. And, and I remember one of the... On that for a second. I think it's a really, really great point because, again, that comes back to the word I used earlier about perception. Yeah. You know, we have this uh, thing where we say, all right, well, players are maybe bouncing a ball or whatever they're doing. They're looking away, they're looking behind, they're looking above. And it's almost like, well, they're not paying attention. Well, actually, I, I know for myself that I'm not always necessarily looking directly at the, at the person who's talking or you know, yeah. I'm just kind of just, because I'm quite a visual person, I'm just listening to the words and I'm putting pictures and images in my head around what they're actually saying to try and make more sense of it, if that, make, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think definitely. that piece is so is so under underlooked at and maybe over probably even overlooked uh beyond so i think it's really important that you know coaches do understand it just because someone's doing something or, or behaving in a particular way doesn't mean they're not concentrating doesn't mean they're not processing the information um and sometimes they might be doing all of that and actually 
have nothing to say in response because they still need time to just process it. Yeah, so it's, it's a good th- and it's a good thing because, like, again, like my I, I was very good at school in terms of academics. I what I didn't want to be at school. Like I was football, 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 but my teacher would sit me at the back of the class and go, there's your work, and I just get on with it and do it. I'd never had any issues at school in terms of behaviour. Just get on with it, do it, then go and play football at lunchtime. And my mum, my mum was a kind of big driver in that. Like, yes, my dad took me to football, so mum was always like education, education, education. It wasn't till like fast forward to like the first lockdown, that the actual lockdown where it was like sit in your house and do nothing, where I suddenly picked up, I think it was started listening to podcasts, started reading a couple of books that I'd never finished doing your one hour walk every day or your one hour run. And then like the Michael Jordan documentary come on, The Last Dance. And I found myself reading a book, listening to the podcast and watching the Michael Jordan documentary at the same time. And then going like two hours later thinking, well, I can remember all three things that I was doing. So I think I've been very kind of good at that my whole life in terms of picking up on stuff. And again, I've been in meetings where it could be potentially dragging on, but you know you're taking in the, the specific bits. But like I said, going back to the casting where I was in this, like one of the first lectures and it was something around reflection, uh, not directly around reflection, but something sparked something. I started just writing notes and it got me, again, I was, I was thinking back to them kind of four or five years at Burnley where I was coaching and coaching and coaching. I started writing down like what actually went well, what didn't go well. And obviously I've been doing it mentally in my head after each session anyway, but never formally doing something. And it's really interesting because I'm very much, I do need a structure to kind of work from. So like an example, like if I have a day off, I have to plan three or four things to do because if I don't, then I just do nothing. And then at the end of the day, you're kind of annoyed with yourself and you're going, well, I could have done something there. But if I've got a structure, bang, like I'm off. And whether that could be meeting a friend, playing golf, doing an hour on a certain book or whatever. But if I don't have that, then it's your win. Like, like I said, going through the ECAS, I started to really unpick it. And I got to the case where the stage where I was like, right. And again, this is something to use now with coach help stuff, which we almost look at the coach in the initial sense. If we were to get a new client and go like, well, what do you want to work on? What's your action plan? And it's like, I want to be better communicating. I'm really good at one-to-one with players, but I want to be better communicating with the group. Right, brilliant. So then all we do, we just develop questions that tease out them answers. So then basically the coach has got a script. So when he's on the drive home or she's on the drive home after a session, they record a two or three minute voice note. I did this, this and this tonight. Didn't do this well, didn't do this well. And what you find over the ones that really commit to over the first six to 12 weeks, and I actually use this myself now, like one of my things was like, I started leading quite a lot this year, even though I've got an, a head coach. But then I was like, right, how do I get my head coach involved more <clears throat> if they're not there in the planning phase? So then, because I know I'm going to answer that question every night on the way home in the car, I've started to actually think about it during the day. And you start to drip feed the, these things in. But then again, on the flip side, I think because I'm, I can be a very structured person, going back to kind of the e-casting around the... Um, the improvised comedy stuff I think there's still got to be a side where you go a bit more informal or you go do you know what that was just a rubbish session so I just leave it you can get caught up in kind of the the structure and being too kind of precise precise. I think you've got to kind of let yourself off the leash sometimes and again be a little bit more I always, I always say to people like, I wish sometimes I was more naive because I think I pick up on a lot of stuff 
Um, like I said, subconsciously, you see things that have happened through experience and you've coached that much. But I think I wish sometimes, even with players, because like an example, you make a snap judgment on a player after one session or or she's done something that you don't like, rather than going, do you know what, I'll give her an opportunity and I'll, I'll kind of um, see where this goes. I'll go, do you know what, off experience, I know this player's not going to do it because I've worked with someone in the past and it's totally the wrong way to look at it sometimes. But in the environment you're in where you've got to get players through a system quickly into a first team, sometimes you've got to make them snap judgments. It's, it's, it's a really interesting kind of balancing act at the minute I'm looking at. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, again, I'm just thinking about everything that you're saying, just listening to you and just, it, two kind of major things that come out again for me. And it's just that, again, being deliberate and intentional. Um, but I think one of the key key things is as well that I think often goes, goes amiss is that whether you're a lead or an assistant coach or, or whatever capacity you're op- operating in, that you can still have a part to play. Sometimes it might mean that you ha- you're having to drive the conversation a little bit more because the people around you ain't, ain't are not doing that. And sometimes it's, yeah. as you said, you know, understanding yourself too and understanding what, 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 how do you work, what works for you, what, what are your strengths and areas of development itself. And, you know, you talk there about having those couple of questions and I'm, I'm really pleased that you mentioned that for coaches to consider on their, on their way home or wherever that might be. But one thing that I kind of I always say is, you know, you, there needs to be two elements to this. We have the questions. I mean, often what I say to coaches to think about is it's not, you know, working with yourself as a coach developer or however you wish to look at yourself, you can provide some frameworks, you can provide some questions, some guidance, but I think ultimately it's got to be person, personalised and bespoke. And what I mean by that is when coaches are now thinking about um, their development action plan, if you like, it's good to have that person that you can actually speak to and get a different perception from because often sometimes we think we need something, but it's not actually what we need and something, you know, by unpacking yeah. the conversation and understanding a little bit more about the environment that we're in and what we're trying to actually get to, it might be, we might, we might realize that actually that's not the avenue that we're looking at. We might think it's a communication piece, but actually might be more something more specific or uh, tailored to a particular type of communication rather than a general communication piece. So, I mean, in the questions that you ask, and this is what I encourage all coaches to think about, is ask yourself, how is this question going to help you? What is the information that you're trying to find out, whether that's post-session, whether that's at the end of the session where you're looking to reflect and, and have, a, have a, a bit of a session, a feedback session with the players, if you like. What does that look like for you? But why do you want to find that information? How is the information that you're looking for now or, or you're searching for going to help you going forward? Now, the reality is you won't truly know how, how, how impactful that information will be until you get to that point. But what is the information you're searching for and how do you intend on that information being useful, if that makes sense? So don't just go in and ask the players, you know, what, well, did you have a great session? Because that's not really going to help you. What you really want to know is what did they enjoy about the session? What did they not enjoy about the session, as an example? Because then that will give you some key reference points to kind of look back on and think, okay, I'm going to continue trying to do some of this stuff um, and away from that, I'm going to try and avoid some of this stuff, if that makes sense. So I guess, you know, in in your own journey, what is, what would you say some of the key questions that you've that you've used in your journey, and how how have you felt they've helped you in your in your in your development? Um, I think going again, you're chatting about what you were saying earlier when we were saying like we're checking and understanding the players. I always think it's 
it's not the first question you ask, it's the second and third question you ask. So like you might say to the players in the group, uh, how are we going to press today? And the players might go, oh, we're going we're gonna to force everything outside. So the next one's a why. And then they'll tell you his mother. He might go, why again? He might go, how are we going to do it? Or can you show them? And I think it's the net. I always listen to kind of their responses. If you get the kind of old school, like Regurgy said, one word answers that every player gives back to you. And then it's, it's really, I always want to dig in further. But I feel like I do a lot of my question, reflection with players I found this year when I'm sat one-to-one with them or in small groups doing analysis work on the, on the screen, not so much in the session. I feel like the way I've developed my session this year is just I drive the session, the certain contrary and we get through the session and the things come out. But actually, sat in an analysis room with a player, I think, gives you so many opportunities to really kind of delve into into where they're going. Um, in terms of like from a personal development point of view, like I, again, as part of eCash, you got two mentors. Everyone got given two mentors. I got Brian Ashton as a rugby union coach, as a coaching mentor who like, blew my mind in terms of some of the ideas he had but then you also got like a almost like a business psychologist and mentor and I had a guy called Dave Levine who again that opened my eyes to the question around the first time I met him I'd never met him before met him at a hotel in Harrogate and it was kind of almost like a get to know you thing and he must have asked me four questions in four hours and I, I spoke for four hours and I'm thinking what's he said and he always drops this one in at me. And I, start, I started to realise was I chat about quite a lot of personal things at the time, which kind of was affecting my coaching and my work-life balance and all that kind of stuff. And when I remember going off on and chatting to him about something for 30 or 35 minutes, and then when I finished my answer, he went, um, is there anything else you want to say? And I initially said no, but then because he left the pause, you almost then felt like you had to kind of fill it. And I probably spoke for another 25 minutes around an even deeper problem. Yeah. And again, transfer that into your coaching. And like, again, we always talk about like, be comfortable with that silence. But again, I think a bank of work's got to be done previously around trust and developing like a camaraderie players or a unit or a small group. But how do you leave it so that you get to the point where they feel like they have to talk to you? I think there's a great a great point there in that sometimes saying less is doing more. Um, and I think it's helping, because it, the thing is often what happens is, especially if you're working with players, what you find is when you ask them a question, they almost expect that you want an immediate response. And sometimes the immediate response is, again, often the case, not well considered. Uh, and not really reflected upon. So I mean, I think sometimes it's good for, as a coach just to ask a question and come back to it. So one of the things I often do with it, with the players that I work with and even with the coaches, and I'll, I'll match up a question in there around an observation that I've made. Um, and I'll make it clear, you don't have to answer it now. There's no right or wrong answer, but let, we'll pick it up at, at some point. And then it's like, right, maybe another moment down the line where there's another observation linked to that. Say, right. So, you know, I asked you that question a little while ago, whatever that question might have been. You know, what are your thoughts? You know, what, why do you think I even asked the question? And then, then it, again, it just, it just it sparks their curiosity, hopefully, yeah. and provokes them to just doing some more thinking and reflecting around what, where the links are, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think- oh, def- definitely. I can think off the top of my head now, there's a play that I'm like, 
are really struggling at the minute and it's been a season now where I've not really got that relationship with them yet. And I've, in my head, and I might be doing it the wrong way and you might be able to have, I feel like I've tried almost different phases of communication with that player in terms of I've tried kind of the cold shoulder of, well, you're not, you're not doing things right, you, but that doesn't seem to work. I've tried almost like the bit of banter phase of almost like taking the mick out of the thing at times that they don't do well. So this player doesn't press really well and doesn't. Um, but again, they're not doing all the work off the pitch. So you're almost trying to make little hints at like, I'm trying to help you with it rather than, because I've, I've tried the whole like, you're not doing this well. like And it's almost like the barriers go up. I do think I do it well, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to help you. And it's it's almost trying to find the, the little moment where the penny drops. Um, and that's a long bit of work because, again, with some players, it happens straight away. And you've got a relationship, you've got a link, and you take them as far as you can take them development-wise. But then there's the ones where, and again, I've this is a big reflection thing on mine, is in the past, then types of players I've gone, do you know what? I'm not going to spend my time with you. Whereas I'm really kind of trying with this one now and I'm thinking, do you know what? Because again, when you speak to different people, when you reflect with different people, like going back to the guy that I mentioned off ECAS, I mentioned this player to, to Dave and he's like, I came out of the meeting thinking, do you know what? I can actually get, I can get into this player a little bit more. I can help them. Um, when like I said, sometimes my preconceived perceptions like, get the better of me and I'm like, no, I'm not going to spend time with that player again today. And you and I, naturally kind of gravitate to the ones that you work with really well. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, again, listening to what you're saying and there's a, there's a, there's a major word that drops out, drops out of me there and I think it's a lot, it's one that we have to accept is, is present and that's ego. Yeah. Massive. As, as, as coaches, you know, we all have egos and I think we want to be able to, uh, we want to believe that, we have some knowledge and some information that's going to help these players. And only if they just listen to us, then <laughs> we'll help them get there. But yeah. actually, a message communicated isn't necessarily the message understood all the time. Um, and sometimes we're better off not having a conversation. And sometimes we're better off just yeah. saying, right, let me show you what I'm looking for. And you tell, and, and, then, and then maybe you can give me an example of how that looks to you. Um, and actually just pretty, you know, it's really about presenting that information in different ways so that the players do pick up on it. And one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give to a lot of coaches that I've worked with over the years is that when you're introducing a new concept, whatever it is, or even if you're going over a previous concept, if it involves, uh, well, whatever it is really, don't just tell the players about it. Don't just ask the players about it, but show the players about it. And, you know, I like to use the, the idea of show and tell. So actually, from my observations, what tends to happen, you get a lot of players. And, you know, it might not always happen, but it often is the case that I've, I've seen where a coach might have explained something or they might have shared some information and the players don't quite understand it. Not all of them anyway. Yeah. Um, so they end up having to show them anyway. And, you know, we talk all, all the time about how important demos are. And, and I, again, need to put a... Uh, and underline that and put some exclamation marks on the back end of it always demo always show and tell because the thing is my experience has shown me that if you tell the players something a lot of them still won't understand it and you're going to have to end up showing it anyway so why not spend you know, that little bit more time at the front end of um, the delivery showing them and telling them at the same time making sure they've understood it um, and making sure they've understood it by allowing them to demonstrate to you what it is that they're actually trying to do or what they've understood from your 
uh, your demonstration, your and the information you provided, because that way we can actually just see straight away, right? Okay, they get it, they don't get it. Um, and also, you know, taking a step beyond that is actually start to understand the players that you're working with to identify right who is my demo player. Yeah. And the demo player might not always be the one who's most impactful with it, and they might not be the most technical player because most technical player might actually need to see someone else do it first. And that's okay. Um, whereas I think as coaches, sometimes we can be lazy and fall into the, fall into the trap of, right. I know Lewis is, you know, he's, he's, te his technical abilities out of this world. He's, he's definitely the best in the group technically. So let's get Lewis to demonstrate it. But actually Lewis hasn't got a clue what he's looking at or what he's been asked to do or what's expected of him until he maybe sees someone else do it. Yeah. And it might not be one, it might be two or three times that he needs to see someone else do it. And then he can get it, get the grips of it. And now all of a sudden Lewis can become the demo player, but he might not be your first one. Um, so I think there's, there's, some, there's some key bits in that. So, but let, let's, let's talk about this reflection piece because I think it's really, really important. Now, you know, through the stuff that you're doing with Coach Help, you, know, you talk there about some of the questions that you might give coaches to think about on their way home and whatnot. And, but I want to kind of scale back a little bit. You know, you talk there about uh, your experience with the youth mod, planning for 11 or 13, I think you said it was, and yeah. then you getting 22 or however <laughs> it was. And it's interesting you say that because I actually, I actually do that quite a lot when I'm delivering courses. I do that quite a lot because I make clear to coaches, you can't anticipate how many players you're going to have. Yes, you've got an idea, but don't set it to a base number. No, you're not going to have an under 13s down the, you know, on the other side of the pitch where you can drag two players across because you haven't got numbers for your session. If you haven't got numbers for your session, you've got to work with it because your session shouldn't be based on the number of players you've got. Your session could be based on the theme and the topic. And within that, you can then unpack, right, who are the key players in this practice? And how many players do I need to make this practice work? Now, if your practice isn't flexible and scalable to a, a lower number, a higher number, or an ideal number, then you're probably doing something wrong in your planning. So in terms of the reflection piece around that is where coaches start to consider, or really what I'd encourage you to consider is, what is my topic? Who are the key players? And what would it look like in an ideal world? And if, those, if certain players were missing, how would that then change things? And it's not just having certain players missing, but then how much attention are you then paying to the players that are involved in the practice, but more specifically what roles they're playing within your practice? So as an example, if I've got a practice set up and I'm looking at, I don't know, whatever the scenario might be, but in, you know, if I look at it in a game context, that some of the roles that they're operating within my practice are maybe a centre-back and a full-back as an example, if all of a sudden my fullback and my centre-back aren't available for my session for whatever reason, how does that really impact your session? How well have you, have, have you been able to look at the scenario that you're, you're working on and say, right, okay, ideally we'd have a centre-back and a fullback here, but we haven't got them. So how does that affect the, the design of your session? So I guess what I'm really saying there for coaches to think about is look at it full, you know, a full circle, round a 360 approach, right? haven't got those players in there. How how impactful was that going to be to actually what your session will then end up looking like, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, from your own experiences, what are maybe some of the key reflection pieces that you think coaches should be considering when they are delivering practices and even in between that? Um, something I spoke about recently um, quite a lot was, uh, I was chatting to the coach about this actually, and I was... Again, when you when we have our little breaks of in sessions where it's like, right, we get the players in, we'll chat around, tactics ball, 
do we ever have little breaks where as a coaching pair or as again it might be your SNC and you it might be your coach assistant coach you and a, a physio but do you have little checkpoints in a session where you go do you know what? We'll, we'll check if we're actually still on topic in terms of what we're learning because again as a session lead sometimes you can be very much in the in the moment of driving the session make sure the minutes are bang on the tempos up here and you've got your other coach working on like individual unit parts or individual players like you said you, you focus players in the session but do you actually go do you know what we're actually still working towards these three pictures or no Lewis you've actually gone off on a tangent and you've, you've changed the whole session or you've lost sight of something and I think that's a really really good one especially like one and a half two hour sessions where it's you've got you're in the academy and your philosophy you've got to get through these certain elements of your session do you have little points where you, your assistant coach or like you said it might have been your academy manager's watching or whatever am I actually where you want me to be within the session because um, again I think you can get lost both ways in terms of it's gone one way really well with one player but do you know what you, like you said, you're talking about the centre-back starting session. You've ended up, you're coaching the centre-mids too much um, or vice versa. I think that's a real good kind of skill to kind of develop within within a session. Um, again, in terms of like you're saying there about like changing a session, I think also don't be afraid to rip it up as well. Sometimes you can almost, like I, I've had it this year where we had we had a, a injury hit season where players were getting pulled out left, right and centre in, in sessions and it was just, just how the season went but then you're almost sometimes trying to force a session on players that isn't actually for them and again this is where you've got to be really clever and, and kind of a bit more um, flexible in your coaching philosophy yeah we're working on playing out from the back today though yeah but I've got no centre-backs and I've got no goalkeeper right let's just change it <laughs> I've got three midfielders in do you know what I could get a ton of like Position specific work into them. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in. And again, we developed a. It was really interesting at Salford City. So kind of a lot of clubs have like a philosophy of like we're right, we're playing out from the back week one. We're playing through midfield week two, finishing the final third week three, and kind of it's a very like step by step. Whereas we went, we kind of changed the whole model, and it was really interesting because people were like afraid of the EPP going. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and I thought. We actually got a guy in from the EPP and said, well, if we do this and this and show why we do it, is that fine? Like, yeah. And we ended up, again, people started using the same model where rather than having them topics, we had positions as our playing positions were the topics each week. So week one would be goalkeepers. So our whole week was, yes, the end of the week was geared towards like game prep for an under-18s league, but the first couple of sessions of the week and we had like double sessions because the lads are in full time. Was like right, the goalkeeper. So this week the keepers we can work on playing out from the back. We can work on distributing to middle third, the top third of the pitch, like playing long, depending on what that keeper needs. We can work on emergency defending. We can work on shot stopping. We can work on one v ones, and the the syllabus was built around that. And then week two you'd work into centre backs. So we have three centre backs in the squad. So it's like right in individually in sessions they need this. In position-specific sessions, they'll get all our attention as staff while the other players are working more player-led as such. Um, and then again, your sessions could be anything around anything in the defensive third, anything playing into the middle third, attacking or defending. And we started to then also build it around like them, them three players. 
and then how it works in terms of the review system rather than having 20 reviews to write every six weeks on players where everyone knows after you wrote three, your head's mashed. It's one o'clock in the morning and you just write the same on every one. We just reviewed them three players each week, so we were fresh. So you were writing concise, real good kind of reports on players because you were working on them that week and going, do you know what? And again, because the focus is on them, you get more buying from the players. Uh, and again, all your reflection things came in because, like you said, you you having that kind of kind of checkpoints of we're actually working on the things these players need and we're planning for these players and they've got a step by step almost guide for the week. Um, so that was a real kind of interesting way of looking at it, and I think that helped in again going back to this reflection topic in in that sense. I, I think again some great points, and there's two kind of again main things that pop out for me there. First of all, it's looking at. You know, start that you talked about a session plan, sometimes having to adjust it, but sometimes just throwing it out the window. Um, not completely, but I think it's recognizing and understanding that the plan is only the plan, it's not, it's not, it's not the definitive, yeah. it's not something that we have to do. And um, we have to kind of flex and approach the situation as we go through it. So, for instance, you know, if we've got if we've got injuries or whatever the situation is, have a look at the plan that you've got for yourself. You know, ask yourself, right, can we still go ahead with this plan or does it need to be changed? But I think a really key piece of that as well is, and it kind of links into what I see a lot of coaches in, has become quite reactive to what's maybe happened in the week before in terms of results or how they performed yeah. the week before. Um, all I would say with that is, I don't think you need to have a set structure in place in terms of, right, week one is this, week two is this, week three is this, week four is this. However, I do think you need to have a set structure in terms of the areas that you can hope to cover across the season, but yeah. do it in a way where it's almost like a, uh, you know, like a consistent jigsaw where actually you can slot this one out and slot this one in based on what's happening. But as long as you get through that whole spectrum of topics and themes and areas to cover uh, across the season, I think, you, I think you'll be all right. Um, because at the end of the day, we are still trying to develop players, whether you're working with youth players, whether you're working with those in the professional development phase, whether you're working in the first team. You know, there's going to be, obviously, when you're working in senior football, you're still looking at to try and develop your players. Um, obviously, it's a bit more set structure in terms of you're planning ahead and you're preparing based on the game that's in front of you and maybe it's on the reflections of the previous games. But I think ultimately, it's about making sure that we still give them that full, uh, that full holistic approach around all the different areas of the game that's necessary for them in the environment that they're in. Um, but also mimic and that reflect that to the game that they're playing in. So if they are under 13s, what does an under 13 player look like, whether whether a female or male? What does that player need to be competent within, but also not overlook? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In that each individual is also going to have their own super strengths and areas for development. So can we try and hone in on those strengths but link it into the wider program? Um, I guess the second piece is, you know, you talk there about really having... A situation where that player-led piece, you know, there's sometimes where we're not going to spend too much time on a necessary directing the session, but actually we're going to allow the players to have a bit more ownership of it. And I think that piece is really key, but I think it's really important to highlight is that 
just because something's player-led doesn't necessarily mean it's player-centered. And I think a lot of coaches can get mis- mis- misunderstood in terms of what the two terms are. And I think before we can allow the session to become player-led, we need to really understand what the players perceive that to be and what the players perceive to be important within that to, to make sure that it is still maintained as player-centered. Um, difference being, in my opinion, that player-centered is about the development of the players based on their current needs and um, areas of development. Um, but also player-led can also you know, turn into a thing where you just let the players take the session, let the players have a bit more ownership around what the session looks like. But sometimes that's not necessarily linked to their needs, but sometimes more linked to maybe their wants or previous experiences. So, you know, if you ask a player to take a session, as an example, or players to uh, participate in the d- development of a practice or a session, it can often go back to, you know, what we've experienced before not really that reflection piece of mind, well, actually, where are we at now with our journey? What are the things that we currently need to be working on? Um, whether that be technically, tactically, whether that be actually, you know, we're going through a bit of a bad patch and we need to have a bit more of a social um, interaction and social, you know, development aspect of, of the session. So I think there's loads of different pieces within that. I guess, you know, what would be really interesting to hear from you then is what would your advice to coaches be around the key considerations or key kind of questions that should be constantly asking himself as the session is going on, because it's really easy to get, get into the habit of, right. I'm the coach. I've set this practice up. I've set this session up. And if it doesn't look like the way I want it to look like, then that means it's not successful. Yeah. For me, the, the one thing I've asked myself this year, and again, this goes back to my own kind of reflections is every session I've put on, probably in the last six months, I've tried to maximum have one condition on that session because I'm like, if one condition can get out everything that I need it to get out, then I don't, because again, you know yourself, like you don't want the first, say we work in six lots of four minutes. You don't want the first four minutes to be the players like working out all the rules to the game. You almost want them like, so my my first thing, my one of my first questions, especially we work a lot in blocks is, do they understand it in the first one? And within a minute, they're not like you get to the fourth minute and they're still asking questions about how, how to get through the session. Um, for me, things to check myself on are my, I always, I plan as well. So I'll have like almost like a session plan, but then almost a session plan for the staff that I've got in the session. So is my assistant coach feeding the ball in the proper way where, where I want it? Because it determines the flow of the session. Like I said, if I'm an intense session today, I want the ball coming straight back in. And, but have I explained that properly? Have I explained it in a way that they know exactly how I want the session to look? Um, even again, you put probably a couple of your leaders in, in the set in the session in regards to players, I'd ask them, how does the session feel? I think that's a great question to ask people, how does the session feel? Not what's it like, does it look like, so how does it actually feel? Does it feel like football? Um I think I've got good at that in terms of asking players, would you change anything? And asking them that early on, not not at the end of the session or what was the session like, blah, blah, blah. And what would you change? Well, why didn't you ask them like during the session? Because you could you could tweak it straight away. And again, going back to that ego thing, taking it out of it and going, do you know what? They're actually right. Or having a little bit of a quick discussion around, they want to take it this way, but actually, no, I want to keep it here because of this reason. Um, I always find myself... Another one I think great kind of bit for coaches is 
if you're developing something maybe a little bit different in a session or like I said, presenting a new concept within a session, you might be say, like I said, we're suddenly going to play with two in midfield rather than three. And we played with three in midfield all season. How have you I always say, how have you sold that session to your midfielders before the session? Because you're you're obviously going to change something. So rather than walk on the pitch, and again, probably more towards a PDP first team level where players can almost destroy your session if they're not having it. How do I in the war maybe go to my midfielder who's playing the midfield three or all life? Um, I'm going to play in a two today for this reason. I want you to try and do this, 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 and this. And then you can almost have a bit of discussion to go into a session to prepare for it. Um, I think that's I think that's a real kind of good tool to use. Um, and again, going back to that one I said earlier on having a member of staff, whether it's your SNC, whether it's your physio, whether it's your head of coach, whether it's your assistant coach, to almost have them with the session plan as well and checking that as you as you go through. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think I get what you mean, and I think there's some, the, the real key question that jumps out for me, and I want coaches to start to think about is how well considered are your plans. And what I mean by that is, you know, you talk about maybe trying to convince uh, players at the top end of the top end of the game um, to try and buy into what you're asking them to do, really. And I think the real key piece is, as a coach, how, have you actually considered why? And I don't think enough coaches do that; they just do it because they do. Um, but you need to have a strong rationale because some players are going to want that. Some players, you know. Who haven't, who maybe don't know you too well, or have come from different, uh, different backgrounds and experiences, might be a bit more challenging, might be, might be a bit more um, difficult to get across the line. So yeah. one of the things I've always, and I've recognised about myself, and it's exactly that is, you know, you can be, you can be a great coach, but you know, if you're going to ask me to do something, I need to know why. Yeah. Because that's the only way that I'm going to be committed to it, and if I don't agree with it that's not the end of the world. But if you can help me understand your why and the reasonings behind it and actually make that bit make sense, then I can get behind it, even if I don't agree with it. Whereas yeah. if you if you can't justify to me why I'm doing this, you're never going to get me to do it. And I think that is, that is really, really key for coaches to consider because there's going to be a lot of times where coaches tell players to do things and players maybe don't, don't do it. Yeah, and I think, I think another real key tip for kind of coaches in terms of the planning and reflecting on your planning is you can't be frustrated with a member of staff for doing something if, again, you've not planned for it. And it could be as simple as, like, we have a full-size pitch, you go out and set all your session up, but then your SNCs set their part of the session up in the wrong place and you're, like, you're losing your mind, but then you think, you know what, I've not actually planned for that, I've not told them where I want it. Again, going back to using one of your coaches as a feeder in the session, you could be halfway through your session, the balls aren't coming in quick enough, and then you go, I've not actually sat with that coach or sports that coach while the session's on. I need the balls coming at this point this way. So I, I had <laughs> an example, like I had a, an air license session in one of my review sessions when I was at Morecambe. And what I, I got to the point where I said to my tutor, I went, I'm happy with my session design. I want, I want you to assess me on my management of staff today. So I had like, one, I had four coaches though, so I tried to be kind of, I thought, do you know what, I, I'll never have this very often, but it'd be good to see if I can manage it. Because again, at the top end, like you've got staff that, like you look at like, Frank Lampard at Everton, now, you've got Paul Clement, Ashley Cole, Joe Wayne, all good coaches. Like, how do you manage that? So in this this session, just a, a, a stupid example for people was, 
it was like a, a phase phase of play. I had one coach working with the back line, one coach working with um, the forward line. I was working kind of in the midfield area and almost running the session and different coaches feeding. And how I wanted the practice to start again when the ball went out of play, the ball got fed into the two centre-halves at the other end of the pitch, just on the floor. Bang. <laughs> so anyway, this coach that was helping me, it's on the foundation phase. And again, it's slightly different kind of pro perception of what the session was. Every time he fed the ball and he fed the first three balls in for me, he just boomed it up in the air. You know, like the old, like, kick it up in the air, everyone dives in. And, and I was like, thinking in my head, part of me I wanted to rip his head off, but then the other part I'm thinking, I've not actually told him where I wanted to serve the ball. I've just told him to serve balls in. So I've not, again, it's them little bits of detail, which again, I know you probably kind of get away with in an academy setting, but if that was with a first team and that happened, straight away, two or three of the players, the, the big hitter players are thinking, what's this coach doing? It can almost be like the unravelling of your session. And again, it was a real good lesson for me. I remember my tutor saying to me after, he's like, <laughs> how did you plan for that member of staff? And I was like, I just told him to serve balls. Like, no, you've got a, you've, you've almost got a, again, going back to this kind of idea of structure. And I was chatting to someone about this quite a lot last night. You, you can't really go in and give people full autonomy straight away. You've almost got to go, here's a couple of guidelines and, and instructions. Yeah. If you, if you nail them, then you can start having your own kind of, little bits that you have, yeah. but I think it's very hard to go, there's full autonomy and then they don't actually do what you kind of want from it. I think I think there's, there's, there's two things there. I think, you know, there is that aspect of uh, maybe not giving them uh, full autonomy, giving them some direct instructions to start with. I think also within that, it's also having that conversation and say, right, this is this is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm looking to get out of the session. This is, this is how I envisage it. What are your thoughts? Because yeah. it might just be clarifying those things and not and, and, and then you find actually the instructions are not as important because actually you might say I want the balls in a particular way but if they've got a similar perception to you as to what you're looking for that that's a shared understanding around what that what that looks like they could also equally have some ideas around right okay well we can maybe serve in some like this and serve in some like this and no one's saying to do it you know by throwing it in the air but maybe we could serve it in from different points in practice different points of different angles and different distances mm-hmm. um because that would that would challenge the players on A, B, or C. So I think it's it's not necessarily being so directive. And you know, again, even within that, you know, the one of the things I often push coaches to to think about is try not to be too rigid in the way that you work. Yes, you might have an idea and a vision of, of, of what you want to see, but um, try not to develop it in a way where it becomes exactly a replica of that. It could be that actually, you know, these are the parameters we're working yeah. within. These are some of the uh, yeah. These are some of the outcomes that could occur, um, and we want to we want to share share those outcomes in a way where the players are experiencing different things. But actually, the context of the session is still is still what it is. It's still based on this topic or this theme. Yeah. But actually, these are some of the different scenarios that might present itself within that. So I think that 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 bit is really key. And obviously, then again, giving that clarity to the players as well. I think often what I don't see enough again with coaches is actually sharing the, sharing with the players like this is what we're looking for this is what I'm hoping to see um, that's not fixed however this is this is the direction we're going in and this is the reasons why and then the players can start to have their own insights actually well coach have you ever considered this or in the, they might not ask it in that way they might respond in that way but it could be right well what about this what about this and I think uh, leaving that opportunity for coaches to be challenged is I think is really key whether that be by co-coaches or staff members whether that be by the players and getting them and being open and allowing them to actually challenge 
what's happening. Um, and I, and I, I found that really useful in my own journey because it's allowed me to reflect and say, well, why am I doing it this way? Why, yeah. why would I not do it that way? And have I even considered that? It's so, a really good, it's a really good example. Again, going back to the ECAS stuff, I got Brian Ashton as a mentor. One of the first, first things we spoke about was like practice design. And I was saying like, go on then, what, what does a session look like when you were the England, England head coach? And he's like, I would always start with a game. And I'm thinking, all right, go on then. He's like, I'd go 15 versus 15. I'd say to the players, um, throw a scenario at right, you've got a, you're 14 points down, you've got 10 minutes to win it, you've got to counter-attack this team. But then what he'd do, he'd, he'd just let him play because then he's got his idea, we're going to work on counter-attacking today. But he said he might see a different concept because they're going to work, they're going to work out for themselves because there's no real kind of direct coaching. But they'd also cause problems in that 10 minutes. He'd maybe drag a player off and go, right, you've got 14 players against 15 to do this now for the next two or three minutes. And and really just, again, throw the thinking at him because he always came back to the thing. He'd go, he'd go like, Lewis, I've got the best 25, 30 players in the country. They're going to create ideas and have different ways. You've got like Johnny Wilkinson on the pitch. You've got Jeremy Guscott on the pitch. You've got world-class players. They've got different solutions to what I've got as a coach. I've got maybe what the coaching badges tell me to kind of say the solutions are. And I thought it's a really good way of looking at it. And we we use that concept around quite a lot of kind of sessions we developed. And you probably got more psychological returns, but I don't think you can kind of underestimate the, the kind of tactical influence you had on players where it's like, because again, you know yourself, like in, in a game, if you're getting man marks or a team change formation, You've got to, you've got to deal with it. You can shout whatever you want from the sidelines. It's the players that it's the players that work out at the end of the day. I totally agree. And it reminds me of a conversation I had um, on the podcast before when I when I spoke to Shaquille O'Neal. And obviously, you know, he he was part of the, the great Lakers team that, that won three yeah. back to back championships. And not at the time, you know, it's interesting. You obviously mentioned the Michael Jordan documentary earlier, and obviously Phil Jackson was a coach for the Chicago Bulls when they did it. Yeah. Um, he was also the coach for the, the Lakers when. They got free back to back as well, and it's literally what you just said there. You know, the, the, listen, the players are at that level because they're at that level. Do you know what I mean? It's not by it's not by you know coincidence. They're actually they're, they're, they're there for a reason. So, you know, I remember Shaq telling me that basically one of the key things that he believed made Phil Jackson successful was that he just trusted the players. Yeah. He trusted the players and the work that he's done with them before going into a game and off the pitch, off the court, if you like. Um, and I think that bit, that bit is so important because, you know, there's only so much you can do. And once they step over that white line in this context of, of, of football, you can't really impact it too much now. Now it's just about encouraging, motivating, supporting and keeping them on track rather than giving them maybe... Um, most of your focus is maybe technical detail or tactical detail, if you like. And obviously those things are important, but you've got, in this context, you know, you've got, you've got the likes of Kobe Bryant, you've got the likes of Shaquille O'Neal, you've got the likes of Derek Fisher, you've got the likes of, you know, whoever else is in the squad and uh, they're, they're the best at what they do. Now you've got to give them the opportunity to go out and then flex their muscles within that space and trust the work that you're doing. So I guess the key message I really I encourage coaches to think about there is that 
when you are doing whatever you're doing, whether that be on individual practice, individual sessions, or the interaction with your players, you have to trust that the processes that you're going through are the ones that are the right process for the individual yeah. involved. And it, understand that actually you can only support them and impact them up to a certain point. It's like that age old saying, you can take the donkey to the water, but you can't make him drink it. Yeah. Um, and only then, and I think, yeah, then and only then, in my opinion, can you really see how impactful your work has been. And then it gives you a true, a true opportunity to just reflect and say, right, okay, what are the things that have gone well? What are the things that we still need to work on? And maybe just delve a little bit deeper into that piece there around, right? What are the things they haven't been able to do? But actually don't just look at it at face value and say, right, well, they haven't pressed too much today or they haven't pressed too well today. Actually look deep within that. When they have pressed and it's been successful, what has been the context? So, you know, just to kind of go one step further, you talk about the finer detail earlier. And that detail might not be in, 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 the, in the case that you mentioned about how the ball's coming in, actually, the detail here might be right. We've pressed really well. We've had 15 games so far this season and in 10 of those games, we've pressed really well. What went wrong in the other five games? Well, it's not necessarily what went wrong in the other five games. What was different? What was different that didn't allow them to maybe press in the same way that they pressed in the other 10 games? And that could be the fact that actually on this occasion, when we put, uh, you know, the, 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 the team is playing out from the back, in 10 of those games, they were, they, they were a bit sloppy at doing it. But actually, in the other five games, they were really effective at it. They, got, they moved the ball a lot quicker than we were able to you know, react to it. And therefore, we weren't able to press as effectively. So now, how does that information then impact on your next delivery of, your, of, of the session when you come back to that theme, if you like, or when you talk about that session, or when you talk about those concepts again? So are you planning for those as coaches? Are you now thinking, right, we know we have a bit of a challenge when it comes to teams that are really effective at playing out, um, or we're not effective at pressing them as, as well as we as well as we should or could or want to be. So could it be now that as part of your games program, you identify specific teams that are really good at this, so you get more experience and practice against that. Do you know what I mean? And just looking at the finer the finer details of that, but again, coming back to it, trust in the process that you've put in place in the first in the in the first instance allowing the players to show and demonstrate to you what they have actually understood and taken on board from what's happening, um, both in the game and obviously the sessions prior, but also then allowing them to share their views and then reflect on, right, guys, why do you think, or how do you think we did? Yeah. Why do you think we did that? So for instance, if they say, right, yeah, I think we think we did really well today. Right. Give me an example of what that looks like. When did you do really well? Why was it really well? What allowed you to do that really well? what would have been different from the opposition that might have changed the outcome of that success, if that makes sense. And really start looking deeper within those reflective questions to really get more context. Yeah. And it's only with that information as we start to kind of pack it all together, then we can start to understand, right, where is, where is the focus? Where should the focus be? And what, what are we missing out on, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, and I think you've got to, you've got to work in that way that you said towards the end. I don't think you can sit with a group of players after every game and go, right, we didn't do this well enough. They've, they've got to see it for themselves. And again, they'll they'll come up with stuff where they might actually think that they've done it well or, or vice versa. They've not done it so well. But I think when you get that buy-in, then again, you can take it so far. Because I'm, I'm a big one of, if you work on it for long enough and with the right practice, you get better at it. Um, if you, you're not good at something that you don't work on. Um, 
So again, you get you can go into that kind of argument of we always work on what we're good at or individual collectively. Um, but I think it's a real good kind of. I like playing around with what, like the analysis kind of idea of post match. Like, what does it look like for the players? Who's who's going to present it? Is it going to be me this week? Is it going to be another member of staff? Is it going to be the players? What kind of way do they want to do it? Does it need to be watching the video back? Does it need to be on a tactics board? Just just different. And again, that varied kind of approach. Again, you're hitting the needs of everyone and giving others opportunity to speak. But then also even delving really into that. Say you're going to uh, split the group up into three groups to present back. Be really kind of thoughtful and, and kind of pinpoint who you want to put in each group. Because again, one one player could could kill almost the confidence of another player in that group and and getting them to speak up. Typically, like your loudest one, your captain. Where where do you put them in them three groups? Because they're always like they're on almost like this pedestal. Like I I say what's going on. I'm almost like the voice for the group. Right? How do we almost take them out of it a little bit as well and give others? Um, and that's where I because I myself the small group work sitting with players individually or in ones and twos, I think it's a real kind of, I think it's one of the biggest parts of coaching, if I'm if I'm perfectly honest, around like a reflection, looking at your own game, looking at looking at things that, that you want to get out. I think people open up more in them scenarios. No, definitely. I think, again, it's just really getting as much insight as possible, being, like I said, I used, I used the phrase earlier about being deliberate and intentional about the information that's actually going to help us really looking at it and thinking, right, again, you know, I'll give an example of a coach that I worked with recently, um, went to observe him and, you know, he's asking questions as part of his end of session review, if you like. And sometimes I don't think that's even necessary, you know, through, yeah. through what's gone on within the session and through the type of um, interactions that you have in the session with the players, the questions that you ask and the, the things that they've observed that you've observed, you might realize actually I don't really need to debrief this in in, in, in the typical fashion because actually they've already shown me. Yeah. And if they can show me, you know, the one thing I always say is yes, we want to we want we want them to be aware, we want them to be conscious. But it's not always necessarily important for them to be able to articulate it verbally to us. Yeah. Um if we can see that they have done it and if they've done it consistently, it might just be right. Just you know, shining a little bit of a, a, a positive light on and saying, right, you know, Lewis, I love the way that you did that there. Um, you know, you, the, the way you dropped your shoulder really allowed you to open up and whatever, whatever. So now they've got something to kind of go back to. And there's a reference point there. I'm not just being praised, but I've given praise with context. I'm, I understand what I've been praised for, how that potential action has impacted and allowed me to get some success. And now all of a sudden, hopefully you've planted the seed for Lewis where he's thinking, right, oh, Actually, yeah, coach said, you know, the way I dropped my shoulder there allowed me to do this. That's something I want to be able to do a bit more of. So let me let me just try and reinforce that and try and implement that again and again. If that means. Yeah, definitely. And it's the it's where do you take the reflections as well? Like you said, it's uh, I I don't know if I, I use it in the right way, but there's I've always seen this there's a model called like Bloom's taxonomy. And my one of my old tutors kind of used a similar concept with me but it's like how detailed you're questioning you almost go through different phases of well they can again recall everything you said do they analyse it and there's all sort of like different stages and the last one's almost like create and innovate so like you said there you've dropped your shoulder really well there Lewis 
what not the what could you do next, but can they almost like create a new way of, of playing? And again, this is going back to the Brian Ashton conversation around these like new tactics and formations and strategies are built by coaches allowing players to try things and and, and explore stuff. And that really kind of hit home because like I said, you sit down and everything like I'm I'm going through a phase a minute, like long term I'd like to manage. I'd like to I'd like to go into that field. Um tactically my game model is such my tactical game model is built from a recollection of memories of things that work really well. Whereas actually once I get into the management game, would that evolve? Because the game evolves in another five, ten years. The players that I have at the time probably yes, have this structure of this is how Lewis wants to play, this is how we're going to play as a team, but they'll take it to another level. And like I said, you see that kind of evolving in football and all different sports. Again, I go back to the basketball analogy, Steph Curry's changed basketball, but no one hit three-pointers. Now, that's all everyone does. It's almost like a different sport now when you watch it. 100%. And you, 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 on that note, you, you remind me of a, a clip I saw recently of Michael Jordan. And he talks about... You're talking about Steph Curry changing basketball by hitting so many three-pointers and making that, I guess, a key stable of his game. Um, but the question was asked to Michael John Hackens, you know, you never went down that path or why didn't, why, you, know, why didn't you uh, shoot as many threes as you probably could? He goes, look, I can shoot threes, but that's just going to make my game predictable. You know, I've, I've got a lot more to it. I can, I, can, I can operate in different ways. So whilst the game yeah. is changing, that's great. The game is changing, but it doesn't mean that you can't be an outlier outlier to that. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? definitely. It's really important to kind of understand that, you know, and it brings you round circle back to one of the points I made earlier. What are the super strengths of the individual? So Michael Jordan, yeah, he can shoot threes, but actually he's actually much more effective at driving in and potentially, uh, you know, at doing yeah. something different. Whereas the Steph Curry, I'm not saying that he can't do some of those things, but maybe he's identified, right, this is my, this is my thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a three-point shooter and that's it. I don't need to do anything else because that's just going to get me a success I'm looking for and it's going to help my team because yeah. that's my super strength. And I think it's within that is just asking yourself, right, what are the super strengths of the players in front of you? But more specifically, and I think really coming back to the heart of the conversation is reflecting on what are your super strengths as a coach, as a practitioner? What, you know, what are the things that, that make you tick? What are the things that you bring to the table? And not everyone... Like, you know, you're talking about wanting to become a manager. Not everyone wants to become a manager. Not everyone yeah. has the necessary skill sets to become a manager. Sometimes people are better suited to be, being number twos. Sometimes people are better suited to being individual coaches. Um, and I think it's really important that as coaches, we start to look at that and identify, right, what is the thing that we're the strongest at? Where can I add value? And no one's saying don't develop your other skills and other areas around that, but actually make that the centre point at which you start to develop your craft and, you know, if you are great with working with goalkeepers, make that your thing and, and work around that. If you're great at connecting players and building relationships, make that your thing and just really hone in around that because there's benefits to every type of interaction or communication, I'd like to believe, but it's looking at where do you sit, sit on that spectrum. So I guess, you know... I think, so. So just to jump in, but I think also another thing where... I'm getting to now, and again, I think your massive reflections come out of like severe consequences. I'm mm. a big believer that until something, not saying bad happens, but a certain there's like almost like a road bump where you go, like shit, I've got to, I've got to deal with this. So 
in the past. Again, go back to, I don't think it's through an ego thing. I think it was a bit more through, again, look at that raw head at Burnley of, I was with the 16s for four years on my own. I got used to just coaching on my own. I mean, like no SSC, no, just go, turn up coaching every night. And, and it was a great part for me because I think over four years, I've probably coached five, 600 sessions. And you, you almost, like I said, the art of coaching develops in your head of how to change sessions and manipulate. But on the flip side, I'd never had someone kind of in my ear advising me. So you almost revert to type all the time. And then I came to a point where, and it's it's really recent I've started to reflect over this is this is what I'm good at as a coach. Yeah. If I go into a manager role or a lead coach role somewhere, what do I need around me to pick up the bits that I, I, I'm not so good at or I still need to develop? So who is the person that does that? And a, a big example for me, like just to share some with you, I worked again at Salford, had the 18s for three or four years. We had an FA Youth Cup night where... Um, we were doing really well in the league, expected to do really well. We played Carlisle United in the FA Youth Cup at home under the lights, all, all that stuff. And we were 2 1 up. We were 2 1 up. Sorry, yeah, 2 1 up. Sorry, 2 0 up. Um, Carlisle scored. Uh, the next pass from the kickoff, we gave the ball away in two passes. So the momentum of the game just went that way and downhill um, 81st minute Carlisle had gone 3-2 up and I've only watched the game back probably in the last two months as a reflection I think I never really wanted to watch the game back and this is four or five years ago now and from the 81st minute it took me till the 89th minute to change it so there was an eight minute period where I, I could say I froze whatever you, whatever you, you want to say it was and in that eight minutes, I had my academy manager and my assistant coach sat behind me and I never turned to them once and said, what should we do now? And again, partly ego, I admit it, but partly almost being ingrained in that kind of working on your own mentality. I look back now and think like something that happens really well where I work now, like my boss will go to me during a game, like what would you change? And all I have to do is turn and say that and because I was in this almost like trans mindset of yeah. uh, we're getting beat with two and up, going three, two down. I've never been yeah. in this situation before. How do I deal with it? It, learned, it taught me taught me so many lessons. Yeah. And it's unbelievable to watch back and kind of like really reflect on that. 100%. And I think one of the, again, the key word that jumps out to me there is what's well, two. Um, it's vulnerability and actually vulnerability can be strength yeah it can be a strength um and I, I would argue that it is a strength to an extent because actually it's you holding your hands for saying you know what i'm in this learning process too i haven't got all the answers and i think that can go a long way in terms of building trust and credibility with the, with the people around you as well in saying that you know what? i'm not you know i know what i know but i don't know what i don't know yeah. um I might be good at X, Y, Z, but I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know everything. And I think that's okay. Um, and I think, you know, you, you touched on a very, very key point there as well that, you know, not every coach is going to have someone to bounce ideas off. Not everyone, not every coach is going to have that. And sometimes when you've got the, uh, got someone to bounce ideas off, they might not always be the right person. And it kind of leads me into, into, into just talking about mentoring and 
support for coaches in general. Um, you know, especially when you're early on starting your journey, they often say, you know, you finish a level one, you finish a level two, whatever it is, right, go and go and watch some experienced coaches. I think that's a bit lazy because, yeah, I can go and watch some experienced coaches, but what are they experienced in? So I think before you go and start watching experienced coaches, maybe start to ask them, what do you want to become experienced in? What do you want to develop in? Um, there's no point going to, you know, I'm not saying there's not going to be any benefit in it, but there's no point going and watching under nines coach who's got 15 years experience working in the foundation phase if you're if, if you're working with 16s and you're looking to kind of really develop yourself as a youth development phase coach as an example yeah. um i think you've got to be again i use that phrase deliberate and intentional about everything that you do whether that's for your reflections whether that's you know who, who you're trying to access within your networks whether that's seeking out mentors or whatever that might be so i guess you know on on that note what would your maybe kind of key messages or, 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 you know, yeah, messages support B for coaches to start to consider within their own journeys? I think the big one for me, and again, I was I was lucky the position I got, like, left Burnley the scholar and was offered the opportunity to coach pre-academy of 16s almost straight away, but I think you've got a coach. I think you've got to go and some coaches go, oh, I've got 15 years experience, but they might coach one session every two weeks or yeah. Like one grassroots session on a Saturday morning, and you think, "No, go on, go on, do four, five, six nights a week," because you've got to have all not the experience just on the grass of uh, perfecting your craft and what to worry. But it's like, like I said, um, understanding that the balls have to be pumped up every session. Like that takes twenty minutes of your time. Understanding that you might have to chat to one parent before a session, you might have to chat to a couple of players before a session the time after, the amount of time I used to just go and sit in the office after session and listen to people talk when I was at Burnley and mm-hmm. you get involved in the conversations. Um, but it's just, it's building up the hours and hours of, of understanding that stuff as well. And then also, again, being committed to, again, I, I've, I've asked, been asked to present at a couple of universities in the past and I always put up one of my first slides around coaching. I put like a weekly timetable of what I was doing when I was 19, 20. Saturday, Sunday, I was coaching. Sunday till five o'clock at night from nine in the morning, five nights a week. Um, I always remember working with, and again, going a bit personal now, it, it ended one of my previous relationships where I had a player Tuesday, Thursday, Friday night, nine o'clock, the session finished under 16. And he's like, still got a bag of balls. He's like, Lou, we're staying out. And we'd stay out to 11 o'clock and his mum and dad had sat in the car park. And that happened for three years and that kid never got a, a contract at the club I was at at the time. He's now playing the championship and just them little things of your rewards as a coach are when he played in a team that survived relegation at the end of last season, I get a text at two in the morning when he's um, on his night out because he's um, relegation saving party. I get a text at two in the morning going, thanks for all them two hour sessions. From like, yeah, thanks for all them two-hour sessions from four or five years ago where he sat with me or stood with me on a 3G with a bag of 40 balls and we're practising stuff all night. And they're the, they're the things you want to take. But you don't want to, again, going back to advice for coaches, you're not going, I'm going to earn unbelievable money out of this, but you're going to get so many little rewards where, again, I speak to players now. I love it. When, when you catch up with players now where you go and watch them play, 
I'm getting to that age now where I've probably done this for 12, 14 years. You've seen players come from under nine all the way through the system. And, and just because you've been involved in maybe one or two years of their life, the parents or the players, they, they love you for it because you've spent time with them. And it was interesting watching um, another bit was that I learned really quickly in terms of advice of coach. I've been, I've been watching the last chance you series again. Um, the, the Jason Brown, the two the two bits of Jason Brown, but he, I know he's really kind of hard on the players, but he makes a bit about, he talks about hate me now, love me later. So like this thing of you're not being horrible by pushing and pushing and pushing players and being harsh on them at times, but they'll understand it further down the line. And I think, I think that really hit home with me as much as there's quite a lot of that series where he probably goes a little bit beyond the boundaries. There's a lot of really good messages where that's it. That's evident everywhere, not just in mm. a junior college in America. That's evident in an academy player under tens in this country. Mm. I think it reminds it reminds me of um, this story. I can't remember. I can't remember fully, but basically, I think it was a Dutch guy. Um, he was tra- training to be a fighter. I think it was, and. In the sessions, in like you know, the, in, the, in the group sessions and things like that, in, in the build up to, I guess, getting this, these athletes to a certain point, um, the coach was quote unquote really hard on 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 the on the fighters, and talk about how you know because they found it challenging, would it be fair to basically have uh, a situation where the fighter isn't? Necessarily fighting against certain opponents because maybe it was too challenging or they were too too big or too overpowering. But the reality was, yeah, we can do that. But we're we're now the enemy of progress if we do that because eventually they're going to have to come up against this. Yeah, we're going to have to deal with it. And it, it, I liken it to the situation of when we have uh, you know teams we set up in training sessions and things like that. When you say, oh, well, this team's on, it's unfair, it's unfair teams. Well, the reality is life isn't life isn't that fair. Um, and when it comes to a match day, you're not going to you're not going to rock up to the team that you're playing against. Go to the coach. Coach, can you take some of your players off because it's unfair? It's not going to happen. So you, you need to put your players in situations where they're able to deal with it, and they might not be able to deal with it, but they're able to experience it so that they can again, you know, uh, go back to the piece of reflect and right. How can they get better at dealing with this? Yeah. And by not doing that, and as a coach essentially uh, depriving them of that opportunity and that experience, we are becoming, you know, we are in danger of becoming enemies of progress yeah. rather than friends of success. So I think in, in that, in that sense, I think it's really important that we do give them a rich mix of experiences that will sometimes be seen as successful and sometimes ultimately be seen as failures, but it's just for us to find the successes within those and see the positives through reflection. What yeah. has gone well? What hasn't gone well? How can we get better at it? What is impacted on us? Again, and you know, I use that phrase again about being deliberate and intentional about every action or interaction we we have, um, and we and we carry out. So, I think there's you know there's some really really key points that come up for me for this conversation, um, and I'm sure that the listeners will would agree as well. So, just on that note, Lewis, and obviously you talked there about some of your experience, and largely you know we've been really open and personal with, with, with what you shared. Um, but you have got a platform called Coach Help. So maybe just tell us a little bit more about that and, and where maybe the listeners can get in touch with you if they want to find out more about it as well. Yeah, no, it's like I said, it's I spoke earlier about um, 
it's around the mentoring for coaches, but like I said we really delve into kind of reflection and whether that's a, a session by session reflection platform that you want to use or you want to use us intermittently through the season and just literally sit with us and like I said we'll just provoke questions and be like, where are you up to and, and help help be like I said can be as loose with it or we can put as much of a plan in place for you again it's it's again it's being catered towards the individual needs we're we're on um on twitter at, i think it's coach help three is our handle um and again like i said we've just recently released a, a podcast which is on it just come out of podbean this morning our first episode again we're going to get you on i know yes later on in the summer um but yeah like the whole idea is around is around that and just just sharing ideas and we we put quite a lot of stuff I've probably mentioned today I've, I've turned into like infographics of little things around um, ideas around developing a coaching practice or developing your role as a coach within the session and again it all leads back to this kind of kind of reflection reflection thing like awesome well Lewis it's been a it's been a fascinating conversation obviously you know thank you for taking the time to have a conversation with me and I think again um, if there's anything that coaches should start to take from this conversation is just be more, more reflective, deliberate and intentional about your reflection and uh, the questions you're asking and why you're maybe doing what you're doing. Um, but Lewis, now thank you again for your time this morning. I really appreciate it, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on, yeah. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.